Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Varner, owner of Buyer's Meeting Point and the host of Dial P for Procurement here on Supply Chain Now. Each week, my business history co-host, Scott Luton, and I travel back through time to bring you the best business stories, innovations, people, and surprising facts, some of which you have probably heard of before and others of which are on the verge of being forgotten. If you enjoy our unique blend of storytelling and business history, take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and share a review. That will help others find us. This week's episode will center around a birthday, that of John Deere, born on February 7, 1804. Today, John Deere and the namesake company he founded in 1837 are associated with Moline, Illinois, the colors green and yellow, and a uniquely American way of life. This week, would have been his 218th birthday. There is so much to tell about John Deere, the business, the brand, and the history. But today, we're going to focus on the man. And I was surprised in preparing for this episode how little is really known. John Deere was first-generation American, born in Rutland, Vermont. His parents were both British. His father was a tailor and his mother was a seamstress, as well as the daughter of a British soldier who came to America to fight in the Revolutionary War and then stayed. When John was four years old, his father made a trip back to England. He had heard that a relation had passed away and that he might stand to inherit a considerable sum of money. He was never heard from again. It's believed that he may have been washed overboard during the voyage home. John's mother took over the tailoring business to provide for the family, but money was tight. John's older brother, William, worked as a teacher, and the family managed to scrap together enough money to send John to school at Middlebury College. But he really didn't enjoy it. And instead, he apprenticed himself to a blacksmith at age 17, working for Captain Benjamin Lawrence. While he learned the basics of the blacksmith trade, John also learned mathematics, reading, and writing, a critical opportunity for self-improvement given the fact that he had little to no formal schooling. He also boarded in the captain's blacksmith shop. John apprenticed with Lawrence until 1825 when he struck out on his own, deciding to specialize in tool manufacturing. He mostly sold shovels, hoes, and pitchforks in those days, and right from the beginning, his work was known for its quality. Now, Middlebury College may not have been John's path of choice, but spending time in town did lead to him meeting his first wife. Demarius Lamb's family was well-to-do. 
At the time, it was common practice to send young ladies off to boarding school for instruction and refinement. It is not known for sure, but she probably attended Miss Emma Willard's School for Young Ladies in Middlebury, where she ended up meeting John Deere. They were married in 1827 in her parents' home and quickly welcomed their first child, Francis Albert. Farming in Vermont was hard on the people, the animals, and the equipment. There was plenty of repair work to do, but John had a hard time getting his career going. Two of his early workshops burned down, and he was terrible with finance and accounting. The failures and the debt continued to stack up, as did the children. By 1836, John and Demarius faced a very tough decision. The family had no money. There were just four children, and a fifth was a few months away. On November 7, 1836, John was arrested for debt by a Leicester, Vermont deputy sheriff. When he tried to use his land to bail himself out, he discovered that there was a lien on his property. Debtor's prison was a very real possibility and one that John was desperate to avoid. He sold his blacksmith shop to his father-in-law for $200, said goodbye to his wife and children, and set off for Illinois, where he believed there would be more opportunities to make a living. He had only $73 in his pocket. Fortunately, this gamble paid off. Just a year after heading west, John Deere was able to send for his family and they joined him in Illinois. John had two critical realizations during this next period of time that made all the difference in the success that would follow. The first was that he realized he had to change his plow design for it to stand up to the sticky soil of the Midwest. He made his plow blades of polished steel and gave them a concave design. The other realization was that if he pre-manufactured his inventory, farmers could buy his plows right away instead of commissioning a build and then waiting for it. In 1842 alone, he made 100 plows and he was on his way to success. John brought on partners and investors, and he contracted with a Pittsburgh steel manufacturer to supply him with the steel plates he needed to meet increasing demand. But as anyone who has ever tried to grow a business knows, everything you do to try and achieve scale poses a potential threat to quality, and John Deere would have none of that. John Deere is known for saying, I will never put my name on a product that does not have in it the best that is in me. By 1855, Deere's factory was producing more than 10,000 plows a year. His core product was famously known as the plow that broke the plains. Deere employed 65 workers and his factory consumed 200,000 oak planks, used nearly 100 tons of steel and 200 tons of iron, and burned 575 tons of coal each year. In 1858, John passed the responsibility for running his company on to his son, Charles Deere, but he still had a lot of living left to do. He was a passionate abolitionist and a member of the brand new Republican Party that had been founded just four years earlier. His company backed the Union Army during the Civil War. John was also an activist in the modern sense. One time, there was a pro-slavery demonstration in his town and John gathered a group of like-minded men to disrupt the demonstration by, quote, yelling, hooting, and bellowing, as reported by a local paper at the time. 
1868, the same year as Deer and Company was incorporated, his wife Demarius died. He traveled to Vermont to mourn with her family and console them. This is where we get one of the most fun facts about John Deere's life. While in Vermont, visiting with his late wife's family, he got to know her younger sister, Lucinia, and they got married. So he was married to both sisters. He went on to have four more children with Lucinia, bringing his total to nine. Once John Deere and Company Incorporated in 1837, he stepped away even further. John Deere went into politics, serving as the mayor of Moline for two years. During his one and only term, he passed a liquor license ordinance, which did not make him particularly popular. At the time, the temperance movement was sweeping across America, and he supported it, even if the other members of his community did not. More popular was his decision to banish open drains from the city, instead ordering sewer pipes be installed to prevent disease. He would have easily been reelected, but he was suffering from chest pains and dysentery and opted not to run. John Deere was on the board of multiple banks, one of which he actually founded, and he served as the director of the Moline Public Library. He also started Moline's first fire department, and he introduced gas lighting in town to make the area safe to walk in after dark. In 1886, John Deere died in his sleep at his Red Cliffs mansion in Moline, Illinois. Virtually the entire town showed up to pay respects at his funeral and Lucinia only survived him by two years. Clearly, John Deere's inventions made an impact on the daily lives of many thousands of people, but so did his personal values. Neil Dahlstrom is an archivist who manages the John Deere heritage properties and is the co-author of a John Deere biography with his brother. He credits John's listening and observation skills as critical sources of inspiration. Of course, not everyone was enamored of John Deere. There are plenty of stories about his neighbors being woken at 3 a.m. by the sounds of John hammering metal in his workshop. So let's think about what we didn't mention in this brief biography. Tractors. Today, John Deere is known first and foremost for their tractors. In 2020, they had just shy of $40 billion in revenue. The first tractors made by the company were actually made by a company called Waterloo Boy that John Deere acquired. The first original John Deere tractor was not produced until 1923, 37 years after John's death. But John Deere was an inventor, right? Of the steel plow, if nothing else. Not according to Deere and Company. They instead state that he, quote, developed the world's first commercially successful self-cleaning steel plow. John's real claim to fame was perfecting the designs of others and producing them economically so they could be sold profitably. Or the iconic yellow and green. Were those John Deere's favorite colors? Nope. The company did not adopt those until 1910. I've read that the green represents the growing crops and yellow represents the harvest-ready crops. And that Waterloo Boy tractor we just talked about? You guessed it. It was yellow and green. There was an important update to the brand in 2017, with a U.S. District Court ruling that the combination of green and yellow is a, quote, famous trademark, and that no other equipment company in the agricultural products industry can use them. That's a bit of interesting information about the corporate John Deere brand, but I want to finish where I started, with John Deere the man. 
What is his legacy? The company was family run for five generations. That means for 145 years, it was run by a direct family member or relative. Interbrand lists the John Deere brand as one of the most valuable in the world, assigning it a value of $5.4 billion. On their website, the John Deere company says that they have always stood for quality, integrity, innovation, and commitment. In 2019, the company had just under 74,000 employees, and they have millions of brand loyal fans, some of whom own the equipment and some of whom just identify with what it stands for. American ingenuity, hard work, and a commitment to excellence. That is the legacy that John Deere started. On that note, it is time to wrap up this edition of This Week in Business History. Thank you so much for tuning into the show each week. Don't forget to check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership available at supplychainnow.com. As a friendly reminder, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from, and be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review, and we encourage you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Kelly Barner wishing you all nothing but the best. We'll see you here next time on This Week in Business History.